0: um and welcome to a soul's journey series please uh shut your phones and let's jump right into it okay so oh okay i look like a mess (laughs) where's my stylist here (laughs) okay oh my god okay anyway Okay, so let's begin this with a Yud Shuvat. Tonight is the 10th of Shvat. Tonight is the yard site of the previous Rebbe, passed away in 1950. And in 1951, the Rebbe of blessed memory um, uh, accepted officially the role of leadership of being Rebbe. Um, so actually, it is really God's hand bringing tonight's class together with this day. Last week, we're now at the end of chapter 2. Last week, we discussed the beginning of chapter 2, speaking about the godly soul, talking about how it's truly a piece of God above, even though God is everything and everything is God. That's what we explained last week. And we went on to explain how there is the descent process. So if we're talking about a piece of creator becoming creation and we're talking about a piece of the essence and we quote the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov that essence when you touch a piece you've touched it all because pure simplicity there is no complexity and thus every piece of essence is identical so last week we focused on the question of why are there different levels of souls if every soul is truly a piece of God the essence of God then how can there be different levels of souls? We spoke about that on three levels. We spoke about it throughout the entire history. Adam, Abraham, Jacob, all the way to our generation. Our generation is called the heels versus Avram's generation, Avram's soul, and all those great souls are called the head. We spoke about it within every generation itself. We quoted the verse in Deuteronomy where God says, you are all here gathered together and goes on to list 10 different categories of Jews from the level of the heads of tribes to the water carriers and the woodchoppers. And then we spoke about within the soul itself of every individual, we spoke about five different names. Okay, so you can go ahead and listen to last week's class to understand how that can work together with us saying that every single soul is a piece of creator which became creation truly a piece of God above a piece of essence and an essence there is no complexity categories or levels that was last week's class please feel free to go ahead and re-listen to that if you wish this week we're going to talk about the next piece in the chapter the next piece in the chapter talks about the concept of how every single generation, if you have the head of the head soul and the feet soul and every organ in between, the entire body is connected through the brain. So if the sperm, the semen, the DNA ladder, the the, the essence in Kabbalah comes from the depth of the brain, to the point where we said blind parents can have a seeing child. So the brain of the child is most identical to where it came from. And then from there goes the process of contractions, concealments, and all the different layers of all the different organs. Thus, when we talk about it from a soul perspective, the soul, which is considered the head, the rush, the head, is the most... Connected to its source. It's the strongest representation without any evolution, transformation. And thus the rest of the souls of the generation connects through that. The Altareba says, and now you understand why. When the Torah says you shall cleave to God. And the question is, how can the finite creature cleave to the infinite creator? And the Talmudic answer is... Cleave to the Tambide Chachamim. Cleave to the souls that are the head. Through that, you connect to the source. The way it is in the brain of the Father, which here we're talking about God. Okay? Now, you know, for many, that is an issue. And rightfully so. This smells like a cult. There's the head. We have to be connected to the head. On a level of Jewish law, you're not allowed to have any intermediates between you and God. You're not allowed to pray to an angel that the angel should pray to God. You have to talk directly to God. So how does this make sense? And first I want to start with, you know that in the days of old, When Hasidim first began to surface, the Baal Shem Tov, who took the hidden tzaddikim group, the hidden righteous people, out to the public to to teach the masses, so all of a sudden they came, the group, they were called the kat, the group, and they were very worried. These People are talking about Kabbalah, spirituality, we've been down that road, we've had a false Messiah, Shaptai Tzvi, and and primarily the reason that became possible was because of the mystical teachings. Shabtai Tzvi was a great mystic before he went astray. And so many issues, they were very concerned. Throughout the generations, there was the Hasidim and there were those who considered themselves not Hasidim. One of these leaders of the not Hasidim was once asked a question by one of his students saying, is it not true that this whole Hasidic movement in which Chassidim write setlach it's called, notes, asking their Rebbe to pray for them, it's against Jewish law. You have to talk straight to God. You don't talk to A to pray to God. There's an interesting saying actually in, in the recovery rooms. God has no grandchildren. Everyone's God's child. So why do you need to go through? So this non-Chassid great big rabbi it's a printed answer of his, he said this is not a question. An intermediate means that one human being goes to another human being, an angelic, a spiritual, terrestrial, extraterrestrial, whatever it may be. That's a problem. But if you understand what the Hasidim are saying, built on the teachings of Kabbalah, it's not one human being talking to another. When you snub your toe Against the wall, your toe doesn't pray. Through the nervous system, this toe sends a message to the brain. Is that considered intermediate? Hey, the toe got to pray to God by itself. Why are you sending a message to the brain? It's anti-Judaism. The answer is no. So this great rabbi explained his student, this is not a question of the because they're not asking someone else to pray to them. It's an organ sending a message to its head this specific organ needs your attention and needs your help. So that's now not from a Kabbalistic point of view, that's from a non-Hasid answering his student on a Jewish law basis. Let's get, now that we know according to law, it's not a problem, the whole notion of a Rebbe, because the minute you consider a Rebbe anything else than part and parcel of the soul of the older generations, and we all are pieces of one big one big identity and within this identity there's all these other organs so every soul in this generation is part of one greater whole now, now let's talk about it from a different perspective why do we need it ever? going all the way back to Moses and you know that Moses' cousin was the one that put up a war against this the famous Korah who was swallowed up by the earth God has no grandchildren. And if God has no grandchildren, then why are you, Moses, a leader? Why is there one high priest, your brother Aaron? God spoke to you. God spoke to all of us at Mount Sinai. If the whole notion of an intermediate is non-kosher, then why do we need a Rebbe at all? Why can't every single soul talk directly to God? So bear in mind the answer of that rabbi, which is very apropos. But I want to share with you my understanding from a different chapter in Tanya and an explanation to what that chapter means. I already mentioned to you in the first class that when you have two souls in one city, right? There's the animalistic soul, which is absolutely from one side. There's the godly soul, which is absolutely from the other side. They're both on uh, on your shoulders, so to speak. To be more precise, one's in your frontal lobe and one's in the left side of your heart. One plays his kingdom through the feelings and one plays his kingdom through mind over matter. Even the feelings need to be mature feelings, not childish feelings. But who decides between these two advisors, between these two kings, between these two judges? You have all these different... Um, terminologies in the metaphors of, of Kabbalah, Hasidus, and Musar. So let me ask you a question. Who's the one who makes the decision? One voice says egocentric. One voice says theocentric. And those are the two souls that you have. Who's the you? If you is the gray mass, the gray mass is a dead mass of cells. So who is the you? Who is the conscious? You have two consciousnesses a theocentric conscious a conscious, you have an egocentric conscious and they're both telling you what they want you to do someone's got to make a choice here the altar Rebbe, in chapter of tanya he sets it up as judges in judges why do you need to have three judges one represents one side one represents the other side and the third one represents the one that's going to scale now i want you to be careful there's no one judge representing one side, one judge represents another side all the judges have to represent nothing more than the law but one needs to represent the branch of kindness one needs to represent the branch of justice and then there needs to be one that's going to make the tilt of the scale especially in the in the, the, the third Lubavitch in his book of laws he says that he doesn't just tilt the scale by, by making it two against one his job is to bring about that all three have one opinion Thus, he stands at the source of where these two come from and is able to redefine everything for them, take them to a total higher than mentioned, where they both come to see that they're all saying one thing and that, how do you do that? That's not for this class. But the question here is who is that third judge? You only have two voices in your head. Who's the third voice? Who's the chooser? The Alter Rebbe actually says it is God. The Alter Rebbe quotes the Talmud. He quotes a piece of Talmud, a whole discussion over there. And one sage says, If not for the Holy One, blessed be He, helping, would never be able to overcome our evil inclination. So our evil inclination is stronger, our animalistic soul is stronger than our godly soul. Now, we do need to understand why is that. We're going to soon talk about that. But I want to just step back. I want to lay things out a little, a little practical. So the great Rabbi Yitzhak once told God, oh, that's cute. Passion and pleasure you put on the streets. Divinity you put in a book. And then you want to see what the Jew is going to choose. What the human is going to choose. And every level of following God's laws. Each in their own category. The question here is, why don't you put divinity on the streets? Put pleasure and passion in the books. And then let's see which human being is going to choose to rebel against you. Right? In other words, it's not that the animal soul is stronger than the godly soul. It's that in this world, the world in which we say, That there's more, more evil than goodness. Because in the evolution, there's the absolute goodness. Then there's the next world, which has more goodness than evil. Then there's the half and half. And then there's this world, which has more evil than goodness. And we now know that the word evil means what? An opaque husk. The very concept of a physical world is already the concept of an opaque husk. You need to really use your third eye To be able to see that physical is actually spiritual. Okay, last night's class on on that that discourse, we found out that physical is more spiritual than spiritual. Because it grabs the essence, while the spiritual just grabs the light. But now, now let's get here to this class. So in the world that we are now, Mm -hmm. the animalistic soul is stronger than the godly soul. It gets a little bit more difficult. The Talmud says that if the animalistic soul took the godly soul to a Jewish courthouse, it would win. Why? Very simple. If A gives B a loan today on the 10th of Shvat, in 10 days on the 20th day of the month of Shvat, he takes another loan from C. (laughs) He only has enough money to pay back one. Who gets the payment first? Obviously, B. Why? Because he says the words, my contract is first. His money is behooved to me. If he can't pay me, all his property is under me before it's under you. Because 10 days before you stepped into the picture, I stepped into the picture, you should have known. That he already gave a loan, so for you to collect money, if things go south, you would have to first make sure I get paid and then you get paid. Study my contract is first. Now let's talk about this. When does your animalistic soul enter your being, your body, at birth? If not, you wouldn't be alive, right? Maybe even before birth. We see the heartbeat and the mud, whatever it may be. Okay. You remember, I shared with you in the first class that the Orachayim says that when it says, and God breathed into his nostrils, the soul, the godly soul, he says that Adam was a living creature, just like all other creatures were created a living creature. He says that what was blown in, he calls it the intellectual soul. We're calling it the godly soul. But that means before God blew into Adam's nostrils, the godly soul, the soul of knowledge, let's say, right? There already was the animalistic soul. Now let's talk about you and me. When we were born, we we had the animalistic soul. I as a man, my animalistic, my godly soul came in stages. Eight days, and then 13 is when I am fully have my godly soul connected to me. You as a female, we're taught that Gemara says that a woman is commanding you're born already as circumcised, thus you had that stage already at birth, you didn't have to wait eight days. But by your bat mitzvah, when you were 12, you had the complete godly soul. So either way we look at it, the animalistic soul tells the godly soul, if you're a female, he says, study koidim by 12 years. If you're a male, he says, study koidim by 13 years. So way before you can collect your dues from this body, what are the dues? I.E., I, thought, speech, and action emotions, and perceptions, paradigms, before you start collecting your dues that they should all be subservient to you, hello, I was giving this body life before you came to town. So even on a legal basis, in this world, the animalistic soul seems to be stronger than the godly soul. So I want to share with you another teaching step back on this one I mean, go ahead repeat it. being that the animalistic soul says that the body owes me first. to be subservient right. 12 or 13 years before you came to the town and started giving it anything right. it owes me right. so it needs to fulfill my wishes first right. we also spoke about on the general picture the story of Levi it's a mm-hmm. everywhere you look around you don't see divinity. Right? Turn on the news. Ratings are not kicked up because, oh, did you hear how that guy stood up for her on the bus? That's not what brings ratings up. So everywhere you're going to hear animalistic soul, animalistic soul, animalistic soul. And somewhere at a sermon, if you don't fall asleep, you heard something about the godly soul. Now, from that perspective, we understand why the Talmud says as a physical human being, if God would not help you, you would never overcome your egocentric drives. Thus the animalistic soul will win. There's a teaching, and I believe it's from the previous rabbi, I learned it. He explains, or it's the, or his father, the fifth bar trib, I'm not sure right now, I'm sorry. But it really, it, when you think about all Moses as being one one dynasty, it really doesn't matter. But from that perspective, he says like this sometimes we find a godly soul called Narkatan, a young child we see that the verse talks about nar-katan vahavehu, just like a young child every infant just draws love so too we the small nation the young small nation the narkatan out of the 70 the humongous older bigger siblings right so on one hand we talk about it mystically that the soul is considered a young child which also means fragile. On the other side in Kabbalah you talk about the godly soul being called Eitan. Abraham was called Eitan, the mighty one. Eitan ha the citizen Eitan. So you have sometimes the soul is called a young fragile and sometimes it's called a mighty one. The unshakable one. The young fragile one can never overcome the animalistic soul. The animalistic soul is called a king. An old foolish king but a king nonetheless. Thus what do we have here? The young fragile godly soul cannot. The aton the Altarev himself says come to a point where you trigger the core of a Jew And there's not going to be no challenger. It's done. One. But how how do you connect the two? So let's understand why why are there two. Now let's go back to yet last week's class. Within the individual soul, the pintalayid, the yid, the chispa de chudio, that piece of God, that is the etan. But what do we say? Remember, we use the metaphor pregnancy. And you now see all the pictures how there's the heart, there's the brain, there's the stem, but then it evolves into toenails. And you think these are really, this is what came from the depths of the parents' toenails? But that's the evolution. It's the descent. Remember, remember I gave you the example the express train or the local train. Being affected by every stop or not right so thus what happens here the soul that shines into your body remember you spoke about the five levels of the soul right the measure says it's called five names the highest one is the echidah that's the peace of god then you have the next one the chaya then you have nefesh ruach i'm sorry neshama ruach nefesh nefesh is the lowest and what are we taught that which shines into your physical finite body is a ray of a ray of nefesh. Thus, when we refer to the soul as the young, fragile one, what are we referring to? That which actually permeates your body. But the aton part of the soul is above and beyond. The greatest proof to you and I that that is so is because if the aton was in town there would be no sinning. The reason I sin is because my a is up there. Right? So much so that the first two levels of the soul is called mazal. What does the word mazal mean in Hebrew? You know it as luck. But if you ever call up a plumber and tell him you have a drip, a leak, then nozel. So it is a drip, a drip, a drip. But what do I really live with that voice of conscience that I do feel, what do I really live with? What I really live with is the ray of the ray of the nephesh, the young, fragile. Thus, I feel that my conscience is never strong enough to face my temptation. Thus, you have the famous line: Why does the conscious whisper while temptation crashes down on the door? Very seldom does temptation whisper in your ear because he truly is in town while the godly soul that which is truly in town that I hear on a day to day basis on a minute to minute basis is the ray of the ray of the nephesh, and therefore what am I connecting to the nar katan now how do you want the young child to stand up to the fully mature, raging lion. And by the way, that's exactly, it's not a lion, it's a fear. But if you look into the verses of King David, whenever he talks about the temptations, young lions are hungry. They're making noise. We don't refer ever to the animalistic soul a fine domestic pretty cat oh. while the godly soul the conscious is really really hard it's yeah. very fragile it's very weak comes along the Talmud and says what is the job of Akadish Baruch Hu his job when it says if not for the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his job is to connect the ray of the ray the young Fragile one, together with the aton. Once your fragile young child is connected with its powerful aton source. Once the lowest, the ray of the ray of the lowest level of the soul is connected to the piece with which the Alter started this, this chapter. Truly, a piece of God, the essence, Creator becoming creation then the Sahara is gone. He's 1-0. He's, we win. Leaning on that chapter, which we'll get to when we get there, I want to come back not to our chapter. On the individual level, what did we say? On the individual level, we said that there's layers, right? There's the essence called the Aton. All right And then there's all the levels down to the nefesh with the array of the nefesh, which is called what? That is called the young, fragile one. Now let's look at it on a generational level. If we say that the entire generation has the same concept, the entire generation has there is the etan, and then there's all the other organs down to the narkatan. Now we understand why we need to be connected to our Rebbe, why the Jews had to have Moses in order to be able to overcome. The peace of soul, that piece of the great total being of this generation, that little piece that became my soul is the Narkatan, is the Yomchak. And if not for the help of my little soul being connected to the Aton of the generation there would be a problem I would not be able to overcome by the way not to get off topic but now you understand why we never refer to ourselves as the rabbi of north miami I'm the Shliach of North Miami. The very word Shliach means an emissary. The emissary means I was sent by someone. Why do I need to emphasize that? I want to thank the Rebbe for giving me this great idea and bringing me up and educating me in this path. I'm here now. Because the very notion to transform any place on earth, to be able to connect any Jew to its to face to his father in heaven that's not what my little toenail of a soul can do that is the job of the brain so more than anything us are kind of like the nerve system which is carrying messages from the brain to the organs correct but not the intermediary as in because we're all part and parcel of one whole so you need an algorithm You need a Rebbe, correct. You need a Rebbe, that is the brain of the generation. Thus, we now are going to understand another concept. The job of a Rebbe, when they asked the Rebbe, what is the job of a Rebbe? He said something very interesting. My job is to connect the Jew, and he listed a couple of countries. Australia, Russia, Israel, America. He was just listing certain countries. Now, everything the Rebbe doesn't just list. I'd love to find out what the those manifestations of those specific countries are, because every country that there's a Jew in has that has to be connected. But now you understand why. There's a teaching of the Rebbe upon the words that when it came to the receiving the Torah, God wanted collaterals. And we say, Call mm-hmm. We are each collaterals for each other. A raven means collaterals. Bavim also can mean mixture. The laws of 160 and all that is called in in the code of Jewish law the laws of taruvot, mixtures. And there's a beautiful teaching I learned from the Rebbe, a mimer, where the Rebbe explains that each Jew in his place is empowered by what the Jew in the other place does. For, For example, the mere fact that for all those years in Russia, The Jews had to have self-sacrifice for studying Torah, doing a Brit Milah, going to the mikveh any of those laws. That self-sacrifice empowered the entire body. The fact that in America, Jews were able to study Torah (coughs) in freedom empowered the Russian Jews to be able to experience that too. Thus, the job of a brain is to turn many parts into one greater whole. Thus, every Jew, what he or she does, empowers the entire body. That's how the Rebbe described his job in a certain letter. He was asked, and it was at that time. Remember, with the court case, with the books and everything. So the lawyers were asking questions, which said they would never ask. But uh, thank God, I mean, hindsight. Thank God, you know, the Talmud says uh, an olive when his crushed, produces oil. We heard things that we never heard. When they asked the Rebbe at that point, you keep on talking about your father law being alive. Who do you mean? For the first time in 50 years, all of a sudden a thing went like that. These are things we never heard the Rebbe say or anything. So it's, it's just, it's really... Well, anyway, we're getting a little off track in the bringing mode here. Let's get back to class mode. This concept of understanding that a Rebbe turns separate organs into one greater whole is the job of a brain if you disconnect the brain from the body you've got a bunch of organs when you have the brain connected to the body you have a human being a singular human being greater than that the job of a rebbe will also be understood with one more concept what is one of the last commandments in the torah what are the three last commandments some melech. you shall place upon yourself a king. The Jews didn't do that. When's the first time they did it? Generations later, by Samuel. All of a sudden, Samuel is being told, appoint us a king. And what is the king that he appoints? The famous King Saul. Right after that story, as part of that story, actually, there's a very painful, intimate conversation going on between God and Samuel. And it's documented. At the right end of the verses. Samuel saying they are disgusted with me. Until now we had prophets. I'm the prophet. Why do you want a king? They're disgusted with me. God answers back. King um, prophet Samuel. It's not you they're disgusted with. It's me. Now the question is. Shouldn't there be a l'chaim on the table? Finally the Jews said. Let's do the mitzvah. It's God that said. Some toss him Place upon yourself a king. So what is going on here? The answer is, explained to the Hasidus, that what the Jewish people said was, bring us a king like all other nations. who will fight our wars like in all the other nations. So what we need to understand is, what is the job of the brain? Today, actually, we can actually talk scientific terms. If you want to talk about the reptilian brain, known as the brain stem, its job is to fight our wars. Its job is survival. If you want to talk about the middle brain, the limbic system, you're talking about feelings. Beautiful. But that's not the gift of the human. Even the limbic brain is not the gift of the human. The gift of the human is the frontal lobe. So what is the job of a brain? If you ask it to the reptilian brain, My job is to keep everyone alive. You ask the limbic brain, my job is to have everyone feel loved. You ask the frontal lobe, the executive brain, my job is higher thinking. Beyond the egocentric human being. The one that can contemplate beyond death and before birth. The one that can see beyond what the naked eye can see. Now we understand the conversation between samuel and god they don't want the frontal lobe all they want is the reptilian brain all they want is and thus moses cried out to god from where am i to give them meat is that what i became i moses became the reptilian brain i'm not no more a teacher i'm not no more the brain of higher conscious i'm not here to help them get beyond the bondage of self that's what i'm here for now to bring the meat, God. That's what you want me to bring them. The quail. Just the same type of cry that you saw with God and Samuel, the prophet. The same type of cry you saw with the Alter Rebbe in one of the letters printed in the in the fourth, uh, the fourth, I believe, fourth or fifth uh, part of Tanya. Why are you asking me advice on physical things? Should I go into this business? Should I buy that, that house? Really, that's what we're bothering the Rebbe for. Shouldn't we be bothering the Rebbe for other stuff? Rebbe, how do I have love for God? How do I have fear for God? God, how do I get... Just please tell me, Rebbe, how do I get beyond the tip of my nose of egocentrism? That's what a is here for. To bring me the word of God. To bring me a higher conscious. To give me a life which I can't have on my own. So true. It is true that the brain has three parts. It also, if we have a frontal lobe without a brainstem... We have a dead higher thinking. If we have a, a, a frontal lobe and a brain stem without a limbic system, we cannot truly passionately get involved. But what is the greater picture of the brain? The higher conscious. And thus, they missed everything that they were supposed to when they're supposed to ask for a king. And, and thus, when they complained to Moses, we need meat. Moses really? My job is to bring you money and to bring you the clarity that only money can give you without weighing down the heaviness of your brain with, with meat and other stuff. But that's what you want from me, meat? The Jews were right. They also need the brain stem. Thus, this chapter talks about something very interesting. This chapter talks about life source. Without the brain, the body is dead. There is, there is a sickness, right? I actually remember when I was in yeshiva, there was nebach, someone there that if he got a cut in his right hand, he would bleed to death because he wouldn't feel it. If the nerve system is severed between the organ and the brain, we got a problem. So yes, the brain's job is to give life. And that's what the al was is talking about in this chapter, Tanya. He's not just talking about the higher conscious. He's talking about the connection to divinity, which includes life force, simple life force. But let's not forget what's really going on here. It's more than just that. Thus we understand, we understand now, the need of every organ to be connected to the brain, and through the brain it connects higher. Thus we can really appreciate what that rabbi wrote. There is no intermediate here. It's one unit. Lower organs talking to their brain. Mm -hmm. We need help here. I want to talk about one more point in the last 10 minutes. So everyone needs to connect to the Rebbe of that generation, right? Mm -hmm. Korach turns against Moses and doesn't work out well. Dathan and Aviron finally in that story get what came to them from when they started up with Moses in Egypt threatening him to, to snitch on him. But the bottom line is, where do those who fight against the brain, where do those who fight against the tamid de chachamim, where are those who fight against the Eid where do they get their connection? So the ultimate Rebbe quotes these words. Those who have a relationship with the Rebbe face-to-face, they receive face to face. Those who are antagonists to the, to the Rebbe, they are chamandus shodar b'se like they, like he who throws over his shoulder. Now the question is: If you know anything about the Rebbe, the one thing he, the Rebbe, never had, was immaturity. I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to let you know that I really don't want to give it to you because you fight with me. Not quite. If you remember, even Moses stood up and went. To make peace with Korach and his gang. That's who it is. is. brain doesn't doesn't willfully amputate anything. So what, what does it mean that yeah we're going to give you life but we're going to be like ah oh, take it. To understand we need to understand a, a deeper dimension which we speak we've been speaking about lately in the Thursday in the Wednesday night classes mm-hmm. face to face back to back. Let's talk to this for a moment. When you talk about, give you two examples. It's the mother's birthday. We shared this once before. It's the mother's birthday, and the kid wants to buy a present. But she doesn't want to ask her mom for the money because it's got to be a surprise, and I want to buy it. So she puts together her little piggy bank, or let's say kosher lamb bank, and what does she do? She saves her coins, and then finally she goes to the store, and in Walgreens, she says, I need to buy my mommy perfume. It's her birthday. Oh, yes, little girl. That is so sweet. And how much money do you have? She takes out her whole kosher lamb bank, cracks it open, drops it on the table. And what does she have there? 6 dollars The guy behind the counter says, oh, she's tried so hard. We'll give her a $10 perfume. The mother isn't going to wear a $10 perfume. But what does she do when she gets that bottle of perfume? Best bottle, she puts it right there on her dresser, which she can always see it. Why? When she looks at that dresser, she doesn't see something from her child, she sees her child. This was done face to face. The word face in Hebrew is ponem, it means pinemiacy. I'm putting myself completely into it. I'm not giving you something, I'm giving you myself in the best way I know how. Now let's talk about this. We go ahead and we sign a contract and you trusted that guy and then you find out after you sign the contract did you read the fine print? And basically, you were robbed. And now you gotta give this person $10,000. When you write out that check, what are you doing? It's not a handshake and pleasure, being, pleasure doing business with you. It's The only reason I'm giving you this $10,000 is because my signature is on that contract. And what is a person if not for his name? Thus, I'm going to give you this check. Don't ever come back here. You and I have nothing in common. What are we really saying? I'm giving you something, but not myself. Why am I not giving you myself? Because look what you've done made it impossible for me to have a face to face relationship with you. Now we understand what it means. Those who are face to face with the Rebbe, they're receiving not just a nerve impulse, but the brain is giving its entire self in its relationship to the audience. When you have a back to back relationship, you've made it impossible to receive the essence itself of the brain. Thus the brain has to pull back and say, I can only give you what you can digest. Closing it up, let's get practical. What does it mean to be face-to-face with a Rebbe? So the Rebbe answered this. The predecessor, the previous Rebbe answered this. Someone asked the previous Rebbe, and the Rebbe printed it in his calendar, Hayom yom. yom. And the previous Rebbe writes as follows. You're asking me, since I don't know you personally, with what is our connection? Our connection is with you studying my teachings, following my directives, and being in a fellowship with those who are my students. In other words, when you realize that a Rebbe's whole life is giving himself like Moses in his teaching to the point where the Torah is called Torah Moshe, Thus, you understand that when you want to have a face-to-face relationship with the Rebbe, it's aligning your paradigm with his paradigm. And how do you do that? By finding his core essence in his teachings. Another thing. You're dedicated to his will. Let's be clear about this. Someone who tells you that I am a chassid of the Rebbe, I love his teachings, everything, but I got to tell you something. I'm really uncomfortable with that whole Mashiach thing. And when I say Mashiach thing, I don't mean, God forbid, what people are saying. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going there. I'm not going to the yellow flaggies. I'm just talking about playing the Rebbe's teachings of Mashiach to the point where the Rebbe told a news interviewer on his birthday, they say I'm crazy about Mashiach. I'm just, you know, I love the Rebbe's humanitarian causes, his divine causes, but this Mashiach bit, You can't be in a face-to-face relationship if the one thing you can't deal with is the Rebbe's strongest desire and will. Guys, we're the seventh generation. Moses built the tabernacle. We need to build the holy temple. We've got to bring Mashiach. I'm uncomfortable with that. If you're uncomfortable with that, then you're not in a face-to-face relationship. If you're uncomfortable with the fact that it's not enough, for you to put on film, but you got to talk to other jews to put on film. it's not enough for you to light chavis candles you got to talk to other jews to light chavis candles then you're not having a face-to-face connection with the rebbe because the rebbe's will his entire dedication of his entire being of his entire leadership you're turning your back on thus there's two parts here number one there's being face-to-face with the rebbe's teachings to find out what the rebbe really thinks about things you have a question, you really look up. What does the Rebbe say about this? How does the Rebbe look at this? The Rebbe's teachings on Genesis are just unbelievable. Abraham is your neighbor. Abraham is you. It's not some ancient abstract divinity, which something beyond our scope. It's that too. But there's a lesson. The Torah is a literal lesson day to day, how to deal with life. How to be face-to-face with God and holiness. In the face of being the only one across the river, how to deal with the world. And then there's the Rebbe's will. That's called that the organs are dedicated to the brain. But you know good and well, God forbid in paralysis, if the brain is trying to focus on the hand moving and the hand doesn't move, the hand is disconnected from the brain. Thus, we now have, because the soul has gone through contractions on an individual level, I need God to connect it to, the two, the Aton with the young child. And on the generation level, this toenail of a soul needs to be connected to the brain of a soul. That's what we're talking about in this end of the chapter. We'll continue next week with what are the parents' input. Because if it's a piece of God, then the parents' input doesn't really matter. So we'll talk about that next week, and that'll be the end of chapter two. Thank you.